0: And my name is Gary Marsh, And I'm Joe Fontenot. And we're the hosts of the Answering Call podcast. And this is the podcast where we talk to people who are answering God's call. The book of Revelation may be the most interesting and at the same time most misunderstood book of the Bible. It is. Today, Marilyn talks with Dr. Alan Bandy. He's one of the newest faculty members here at NOVTS and his specialty is the book of Revelation. And he has some great insights on the board. And so here's Alan.
1: Welcome. We are glad you and your family are here in New Orleans. Thank you. And we've got you on faculty as professor of New Testament in Greek. Yes. So yeah. this is uh, this is exciting. We're glad that you're here, and we know that you have many years of teaching experience. But most recently mm-hmm. at Oklahoma Baptist University, I think about ten years. Is yeah. that right?
0: Eleven years. Uh, Eleven years. Yeah, but one of the last year was.
1: So you've had uh, lots of teaching experience at the mm-hmm. college and seminary level, and uh, so your specialization, as I understand it, is in the Book of Revelation. That, yes. Oh, exciting! That that's an yeah, exciting book, yeah. and we're going to talk about okay. that today. But uh, before we get into Revelation, I wanted to um, ask you a little bit about your teaching experience okay. and uh, and why why you love the New Testament. <laughs> why is it? just the love of your life and yeah. teaching
0: well that's a great question um so kind of going back to my early years i didn't grow up really in a active christian home okay and so in, in many ways i was very uh unchurched and uh uh with with uh my parents divorcing when i was younger raised by a single mother um i was always a bit of a, a outcast an oddball i was i was Diagnosed with a learning disability, so I was put in special classes. And um, I was super shy, so I never talked in school. And because of that, I was, it was from the start, I was just always kind of never felt like I had a place. Interesting. In many ways, I felt like I was a mistake in life. And, um, uh, when I got into high school years, I, I was very much a kind of a, a – I tell people a practicing pagan. And I mean that in the, in the actual neo paganism of, you know, um, somewhat occultic, somewhat, really? you know, Eastern mm-hmm. religions and philosophy and, um, kind of, was a self-declared agnostic and um, started dating a girl who's, uh, at the time, I didn't realize it, but her dad was a, a pastor. So oh, I'm about I a see. Pastor. And uh, um, I ended up marrying her. Uh, oh. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we met in high school, and um, her dad re- wanted to interview me in order to date her. And I was I was really kind like of you know, infatuated with her. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I went and— um, you know i i sat down to meet with him and he asked me a bunch of questions and i'd gone to church enough to know kind of like the the Sunday school answers okay. so i'd be like you know jesus the bible says so <laughs> um and so we he let us state for whatever reason um but over the course of that that especially that first year i was just i just he was constantly in my way um he he had an authority about him he was a bivocational pastor um, construction worker, kind of wow. a, a solid, just a man's man type mm-hmm, person, and mm-hmm. uh, he intimidated me. Um, but <laughs> he cared more about his daughter than he did my feelings, and um, so he always set restrictions. He was always there, and I always was making mistakes and kind of pushing the the limits. And um, after some time, uh, I I knew I I was just a I'm a mess up and. He wanted to talk with me and I went over there to, to meet with him again and first words out of his mouth and I'd see I could tell he looked awful I mean looked like he hadn't slept and you know mm. his hair was everywhere his eyes were sunken in and he said I was up all night for you praying
1: Oh my goodness
0: and um, God told me he had a different plan for your life so I'm not going to make you stop dating my daughter Wow but I had never I mean I still I mean it's been years and I'm still not over that. And he proceeded to share some Bible stories with me, and you know he lectured me. He was a very positive male influence was mm-hmm. something that I I didn't have a lot of. Mm-hmm. And um, so to get on his good side, I started going to church where he pastored and went forward to rededicate my life. And he met me at the back of the building and just with a little Bible study booklet. He said, "When do you want to meet?" I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, <laughs> you made this commitment. I'm going to hold you to it." And so. We started meeting on Monday nights. I was I was um, I was just turned seventeen, and um, it's the first time I ever had a man or anybody sit down and explain scripture to me. And it was the first time I ever read the Bible.
1: Oh my goodness! And
0: wow. um, oh, it was powerful. Uh, I didn't give my life to Christ that night. Yeah. But every Monday night, we met for two hours. And I was like, like on clockwork. Wow! And then after about six months of that, he shared the gospel with me, and I don't even remember what he said, but I sensed the presence of the Lord and um, gave my life to Christ that night, and uh, it's never been the same since.
1: This, this is this is a bonus. I didn't expect to, <laughs> to hear this fabulous testimony. of yeah. What a. What a testimony to the power of the gospel in yeah, scripture, yeah, yeah, and Christians that will simply live the gospel out yeah, and invite yeah. others—that's powerful.
0: And he was—he was the real deal. I—I—I I, I told him later. I said I—I I just assumed he was a hypocrite, so I kept looking for you know to find yeah. where he was not the genuine thing, and he was always the real deal. And um, and I was—I was given over to drugs and alcohol and all those things, and and after coming to Christ within that year. Um, He delivered me from drugs, alcohol. Uh, It was my senior year of high school, and uh, called me into ministry uh, that summer. Mm. And uh, from there, I started preparing to be a pastor, and fell in love with learning and academics. And I had professors pulling me aside in class, saying, "You know, you're really good at this. You need to you need to go farther." You know. And uh, before I knew it, you know, I'm working on a PhD, and. well, it wasn't before I knew it. It seemed like a long, arduous journey to get there, but uh, uh and I think I think what, what motivates me, there's two things. One, Christ made all the difference in my life. Yes. Yeah. Um this is not just religion, it's not just good things to think about. It's he's the real living Lord. And when I read scripture and I I just I voraciously devoured scripture. During those early years, uh, especially, and it was like I was meeting with him face to face, and he was transforming my life. Mm -hmm. And it was—it's the only book that has ever read me back as I've read it, you know. Um, And there's the truth, and the the life, and the the reshaping of my worldview and my thinking. and and so I can't. I mean, I, I tell people all the time: it's a sin to make the Bible boring. Mm. This is the living Word of God, and it's gotten hold deep in my soul. And I I just I sometimes I'll be reading Scripture in class, and I'll just get you know emotional. And it's just because it's it's the powerful living Word of God, and 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 sometimes we treat it as something other than that.
1: Too loud. Yes, we. Yeah. do. I, I yeah. read a. Quote by Ravi Zacharias Mm. not too long ago. And he said, uh, I mean, it was really um, convicting because he said, as Christians, we forget how beautiful the gospel is and how powerful the truth is. Yes. So um, I I love stories like this. Every life, every Christian has a transformed life. Yeah, But uh, there are some of us like you and your testimony that really remind us that it is beautiful, is a beautiful gospel and very powerful. Wow.
0: But uh, the other reason I went into biblical studies was um, twofold. Um, My – I had a professor was a young guy, just at, finished up his PhD by the name of uh, Chuck Quarles.
1: <laughs> a good friend of ours. Yes, yes Dr. Quarles. Yeah. We love Chuck. Uh, and Dr. Quarles. Mm-hmm.
0: And he came in and he was teaching scripture in a way that was just so powerful mm-hmm. and riveting. And, um, and, and that deeply influenced me. In fact, it was, it was in his classes I decided I wanted to devote the rest of my life to studying the New Testament. Oh, that's fantastic. Because I was seeing so much more than I'd ever seen before in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was preparing to be a pastor, but I, I just deeply, I was convicted. I can never improve upon the Word of God. Yes. And so to study Scripture and be well-versed in knowing how to read it, how to teach it, how to understand it, what it says... That is the foundation of all ministry. Mm-hmm. And sure um, so I thought, well, that's, that's what I'll do. I'll just focus on studying the Bible, and and lo and behold, here I am. You know. Well,
1: so then that kind of brings me to another question. Then as you see students come into mm-hmm. your classroom, uh, whether it's undergrad or graduate, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we're kind of living in a day when I think we have missed that. Mm-hmm. What do you see that's lacking in either their knowledge or... With their love of the New Testament? Thoughts
0: there? That's a really good question. Um, well, the easy answer is biblical illiteracy. They don't know the Bible, but but it's coupled with this. They think they know the Bible. Ooh. Okay. So it's familiarity with it, especially if they've grown up in church, yes, gone to Christian school, gone to camp, uh, done all those things, been in the youth group, gone to college— there's this this familiarity with it, like oh, I know what the Bible says,
1: right, right.
0: But they've never really dug in deep and never really read it in such a way that, or learned how to read it even better, um, where they really can, where it can get come to life and and they could see it and understand it, um, and so. Often the biggest obstacle, like even at OBU, I first day of freshman New Testament survey, students go, "Oh, I went to so and so private school. You know, mm-hmm. I know the Bible. We had a Bible class. Right. <laughs> there's not much I'm going to learn in here." And after about a week of class, they would come and say, oh, "I've never known any of that. Wow, there's so much more in the Bible." And that's the thing. I mean, I've I've been studying this book now for 25 years or more. Um, actually, closer to 30. Man, I'm getting. <laughs>
1: Just, Whenever just we're not going to talk, eh? age <laughs> yeah, just
0: blink and it, it, decades go by. Yeah. But I mean, I've been studying it for thirty years, and 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 it never—I I can never exhaust it. Mm. It just yeah. there's always something more and something new. Even familiar passages, there's a detail that I never picked up on before, yes. and it's just like this mind-altering, spiritual, transforming moment where the Word of God speaks afresh to me.
1: You know, there are a lot of a lot of um, books that I think mm-hmm. are very helpful. Uh- I even have mm-hmm. a book that I picked up at a bookstore, used bookstore, mm-hmm. and uh, even just information about life in the first century, I have found adds to what the yes. Bible is saying that it makes yes. that come alive. And yeah. uh, so there are a lot of things out there that we can use, even yes. in places when you're not expecting it, That's right. that can kind of bring the story together and make it a, a story. You're not reading just a history book, but right. you're reading about... The earliest Christians yeah. and what they had to go yeah. through.
0: Yeah, trying to read scripture and with an awareness of its original context, mm-hmm. who it was written to, that world of that day, how it communicated to them, mm-hmm. so that they can understand how it communicates to us today. And and it's it's the biggest obstacle I have found in, in you know a long time of teaching is that especially when it comes to the Bible, there it seems like everybody who's gone to church feels like oh well we know the Bible. Right. Yes. We need to learn all these other things. We right. we already know what the Bible says. <laughs> and and they just it's just we don't. Yeah. And it's that familiarity which I think can become an idol. Um,
1: true. True.
0: And 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 it's the sense of I know what the Bible says, I need to know these other things that I, I feel like is detrimental. Um, for the spiritual health of the church, as well as for our students.
1: And, you know, this is—I'm not the expert here, but one of the things I have found in my own life is that it's helpful to read the whole book through, yes. maybe even in one sitting. Yeah, Because yeah. it's broken up into verses or paragraphs, and we tend to— Go to our quiet time and read just a little bit right and so then the next day we come back and maybe we have forgotten or we miss right. the connection or the flow, and reading it all at one time is well, pretty helpful
0: you know there's a lot of work done on the orality of the new testament, yes, so so when it was written, right, Paul writes a letter to a church. well, not everybody in the church has a copy of the letter right, right? it's just right. one person right uh-huh. and and they read it out loud to the congregation. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of the way we approach Bibles, like we look at a verse and we spend like you know a whole day looking at this right. one verse, um, but the way it was delivered was it was meant to be heard all in one sitting, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, whoever would read Philippians to the entire congregation, the entire congregation would sit there and listen to the message because it's it's the whole letter. Mm-hmm. Now you can dig down deep and focus on parts of it, but I think there's great benefit not just to reading it all the way through, but even listening to it read all the way True. through.
1: True. Using interesting. some sort of
0: audio bible because you're hearing it in a way that it was intended to be communicated and you begin to see connections and themes and how he starts with one thing and develops it over here and mm-hmm. you know, we sometimes miss that I um, it's the difference between, like, looking at the tree versus right. seeing the forest. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> and, and, and so I think we need both. We need to be able to pull back and see the entire flow of thought and how it communicates and then focus in on the, the individual parts and then pull back, get perspective, go back in. Interesting. Um,
1: yeah. So that brings me to Revelation. I want to get started on yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm going to start with this question. Uh, was Revelation read... Mm-hmm. to the churches, like Paul's letters or yes. the others. Okay. Yes.
0: Yes. In fact, it talks about that in the book of Revelation. It says, blessed is the one who hears mm-hmm. this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing to just hearing it. Um, and so, it was given, uh, so, you know, even in the message of the seventh church, to the angel of the church of such and such, yes. right? It was sent as a letter, a circular letter, to the the, the cities in Asia Minor there and whoever would have been the leader, the elder, the local church prophet mm-hmm. would read it in one setting. In fact, Revelation is better experienced than it is just read.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I like the way you said that.
0: Because even in the description, because it's a very visual book, right? It's it's, yes. it's a record of a vision. There's sounds. There's <laughs> there different is. noises, right? right? The volume gets turned up. Right. There's times where it's completely silent, right? It gets silent yes. in heaven. There's um John eats things, he tastes things, right? Interesting. Um, there's the sound of water. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's there's all kinds of audio descriptions and even experiential descriptions. And I think that's one of the unique things about the medium of Kind of the visionary apocalyptic writing, because it it allows somebody to participate in what John himself is
1: experiencing engages all the senses it engages even all the senses smell
0: even smell yes okay. so that's like burning sulfur yes yeah, yeah. so it, it it does when you read it, you realize it's engaging every single sense we have sight, sound, taste, touch. Uh,
1: that that is
0: uh, <laughs> so. I, I I think that you know I I would even argue, and I don't have historical basis for this, but that yes, it would be read in one setting. Mm-hmm. It could take about an hour just to read it through in front mm-hmm. of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the person reading it might have even acted it out somewhat dramatically. Um, there's been some work done on that in scholarship that the 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 narration, the reading of these things would be done with a little bit of a dramatic flair. I
1: can see that.
0: And I think that may have happened, because it definitely communicates that way.
1: Sure. And maybe they would choose somebody that was able to yeah. really
0: yeah.
1: read yeah. in a way. Yeah, so you read the, the like yeah. the,
0: the ancient historical handbooks, uh, rhetorical handbooks. They talk about various hand motions and ways of inflecting the voice. Sure. So good public speaking involved something much more dynamic than just saying something out loud.
1: All right, so let me uh, let me see if I can get to okay. a couple of things. Yeah, sure. Uh, now your book, um, yes. your book is understanding um, prophecy, mm-hmm. a biblical theological approach, and you wrote this with Benjamin Merkel. Now, but you've written on Revelation in in several places, right, right? But this is a book that deals with Revelation in the last chapter, and you mentioned that genre is a very important thing to understand when we yes. talk about Revelation, yeah. and uh, you write this. Revelation is a prophecy using an apocalyptic medium and preserved as a letter addressed to first century churches. And so we've got uh, apocalypse, prophecy, letter all together. Uh, So I want to start with... With just that, there's so mm-hmm. much we could talk about here. But in terms of just when we talk about apocalyptic literature, we we mean metaphor, symbol, mm-hmm. figurative language. So one of the big things that you notice first when you get into Revelation are the numbers. Mm-hmm. And the number seven is just used extensively. I'm going right. to mention some places where yeah, yeah. it's not just seven, but even Sets of seven. Yeah,
0: yeah, series okay. of sevens. Uh-huh. So
1: we've got seven blessings, seven mm-hmm. angels, seven churches, seven spirits of God, seven mm-hmm. golden lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, mm-hmm. seven trumpets, thunders, heads, plagues, bulls, hills. It just goes on and on right, and on. yeah. So tell me about the number seven. Let's just start there.
0: Right. So, um, boy, there's a lot I want to say. Um Probably the best way to see it is the number seven, uh, numbers do have significance in okay. the book of Revelation. Um, I think it's easy to make more out of the numbers okay. than that's that's there. But but they definitely have a symbolic value. Um, you also have threes used repeatedly yes. and fours used, like the four horsemen of the right. apocalypse and so on and four so forth. Four
1: visions. Four and,
0: visions, and, yes. yeah. And, and so what these numbers are are communicating. So I would I would argue that the overall genre is prophecy.
1: Okay.
0: And apocalyptic is a subgenre of prophecy.
1: Okay. All right. And
0: even in our our books of the Bible and the Old Testament that are prophetic, they're put in poetic verse because there is a lot of figurative language used there. Um and and it's just part of the way it communicates. It communicates in a way through poetry. Through imagery. Um, so an apocalyptic one is much more visionary. And and the visionary uh, heightens the symbolic and um, way that it's communicating in, in those ways. So okay. the number seven is patterned off of the seven days of creation. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay so day 1 day 2 and then yes. he rests on the 7th right yes. so you have the sabbath so 7 becomes even in other places in the scripture symbolic of perfection symbolic of completion um so looking for um that that fullness um of 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 something so okay. the seven spirits of god is not necessarily Indicating that there's seven distinct spirits, but it's a it's a the spirit of completion, a perfection. The, the entire, manifold yes, okay. that's right. right. Yeah. The seven churches. It it is addressing seven historical congregations in, in Asia Minor. But I've been there, I've been to those places I a number of times. If you had yeah. Been. Several times. Mm-hmm. And and there were cities all around it with churches. Yes. So why just seven? So seven in a way then becomes Representative of yes, those individual con- conversations, but at the end of each of those messages to the seven churches, it says, let let the one who has ears hear what the spirit says to the churches.
1: Plural. Plural. Mm-hmm.
0: So each individual church is addressed, but then all the churches are supposed to hear it. So ultimately it it's representative. While it is addressing various circumstances in those unique settings, it's also a message to the entirety of the church.
1: And so this would also apply in whatever um, part that it's using. For example, mm-hmm. the, uh, the bowls that represent plagues right. and the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. So it's symbolizing uh, just the total... Total yes. wrath of God, the, yes. the response because of God. The, yes,
0: the completion of okay. it. Okay. Now that doesn't necessarily rule out an enumeration of individual seven bowls. Okay. But the totality of it, it says with it, the wrath of God is complete. And so it's it's representing perfection, wholeness, entirety. Um and so that's typically how seven is used. Okay. Six is used as incompletion. I see. Okay. And it's also the number of humanity.
1: Oh, I didn't that. Because man was created that. on
0: the sixth day. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the, the triple six, right? The six six six, ah. it says it's the number of the beast, it's the number of man. And um and the and the word beast there is also interesting because John never uses the word antichrist ever in, in the entire book of Revelation. Okay. He uses it in first John, but not in Revelation. He uses beast. So I was doing some work uh, back on my dissertation. I mean, many moons ago, and I came across some uh, ancient Roman writers critiquing uh, what they viewed was tyrants, empires that were tyrants, that were abusing their authority, that were you know harsh, mean, and the 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 way that they were characterized was beast. Okay. So beast became synonymous with tyrant.
1: Now that makes sense. So yeah, the people that hear this book in the first century, by the way, which, mm-hmm. um, in terms of date, to just give some context, we're talking about towards the very end of the first century. Is that what you think? That's
0: where I think. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, there are, there are those that would date it like in the sixties or seventies. I put it in the nineties, a little bit more traditional dating okay. there. Um, yeah.
1: Which, in Mm -hmm. the first century, this is after the temple has been destroyed. Yes, yes. And so this is a very significant time for the Jewish people. Oh, absolutely. Because they are feeling the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. So as they read this, how would they understand all these different symbols? And Mm -hmm. what would they get from this message if... uh, Would they leave with goosebumps and Mm -hmm. and a feeling of God is going to have the final say? What what would they think?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, as a side note, right, I do affirm uh, what's called the late date, 95 to 96 A.D., end of the first century, going back to the time of Irenaeus and some other church fathers. That's when it was kind of located. Other interpreters put it during the time of the 60s. Okay, Okay, AD 60, before the destruction of the temple. Now, the reason that's important is because um, you have a school of thought known as preterism. Yes. Okay, which is a Latin word that means already passed. Um, Mm -hmm. So, what they argue is that it was written in the 60s during the time of Nero, and it's a prophecy against Jerusalem. And the arguments they give is it mentions the city where Jesus was crucified, Sodom, uh, and they say this yes. is all about Jerusalem. Um, so you have Babylon, the harlot, and so they would say it was the, the, the temple of the day, that it was just, you know. Um, and, and so they see it as uh, a prophecy against Jerusalem specifically. Okay. Okay. Um, whereas I, I date it later. Now the difference between those two is fairly significant. So I would identify the the harlot city as Rome, okay. not Jerusalem.
1: Okay.
0: I would I would I would take the city where their Lord was crucified more metaphorically to refer to human civilization as opposed to specifically Jerusalem. Okay. All right. Um so there's a lot of hermeneutical things that probably beyond what we can do here. Um, it takes me a while to teach through Revelation because sure. I got to lay those foundations right, right. so that you don't think I'm just like some heretic or something. <laughs> but so, going back to your question, then how would a Jewish person read it? Okay, well, it depends when it was written. Sure. So, if it is about Jerusalem, then they would see it as um, God's people being. Redeemed and the marriage of the lamb, returning to the Messiah, all of these things, the kingdom of David reestablished right, right. Um, after the corruption of the the temple worship and all you know so forth. where I see it is, I see it written to a audience in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Because okay. that's who it's addressed to.
1: And that's where these seven churches are. That's all where the today.
0: seven churches are. Right. Okay. Which the churches themselves would have been predominantly Gentile okay. in their makeup. Mm-hmm. There would have been Jewish believers. Um, Paul founded the church in Ephesus and some other places where... Um, it would have had a Jew Gentile mix, which Paul's ministry in particular would have was that you you belong to Christ. Yes, you're neither Jew nor Gentile. You're now in Christ. Right, you're the people right. of God that way. Um, but uh, of course, John is a different than Paul. But I don't think necessarily it's it's addressed to the Jewish people exclusively. Okay. If that makes sense.
1: Yes,
0: it does. I, I believe it's addressed to the people of God. Yes. And the people of God in Christ would be those who are Jews and Gentiles.
1: Okay.
0: So in my own work on Revelation, my dissertation was on the prophetic lawsuit, and um, probably time won't allow me to really explain all that, but part of what I see happening there is I, I was investigating what's going on in the situation of the churches. Okay, so kind of the traditional view is that there was an extreme persecution. Yes. Emperor Domitian is persecuting right, Christians, right. so forth. Well, basically all the historical evidence points that there was no imperial sanctioned persecution during the time of Domitian. Okay. Now, Origen and some other church fathers said that Domitian was like a like Nero and he was a savage and he persecuted the church. But the actual records show that there might have been some aggression towards some Christians in Rome, but it wouldn't necessarily have been imp- all empire wide okay. in the provinces. Okay. So, part of what I was exploring was okay, so the language you have in the letters, you have the synagogue of Satan, those who yes. call themselves Jews and are not, and those types yeah. of language. And then you have in Pergamum, you have Antipas, who's been, who was the witness who died for Christ. He's right. the only one right. named. Who had died for his faith in, in the book of Revelation. Um so I I've done I did I did a lot of kind of social historical cultural study to fi- try to figure it out. And and there's a number of things going on here. First of all, the provinces and Asia Minor being that province benefited under Domitian. Domitian liked the provinces better than Rome. Really? And so he gave them a lot of money. Okay. And so they competed to show him their favor and loyalty, because he liked loyalty. And so they would they would do things to try to honor him. They built a temple for him. They did different things. In 1892, uh, the third imperial cult temple was built in Ephesus by Domitian, huge structure. That would have corresponded with John being there. I don't think Domitian actually sent John into exile. I think the governor of Ephesus... Did oh, you
1: do? Okay. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: I think it's the governor of Ephesus, and the reason is is because Domitian wouldn't care about John.
1: Yeah, he was he was in Rome. He's the big guy.
0: But having a temple, so in in in, yes. in the Greco Roman cities, you see this in the inscriptions of these places. The phrase "Neochoros," which means temple warden, and to host the imperial temple was a huge honor. Like people competed for that for cities, um, kind of like they compete for the Olympics. Sure, um, sure, and so. That's a big deal for the city. It also means that they're loyal, they worship and honor the emperor, all those types of things. So here you have this old Christian leader that's well-respected and well-loved by people, and there's this big temple, and he's not going to worship there. Ah, he's seen as seditious. Yes. Dangerous, right? So I think the governor exiled him to remove his influence from those areas because they didn't want to do anything to make it look like they're tolerating people who aren't loyal.
1: Well, that that seems very plausible yeah. to me. Right. And, of course, that the first century church struggled, especially where there were Gentiles of yes. syncretism, right. of right. mixing and matching. Right, so that would be the pressure, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: So for these Gentiles, right, um, in fact, when he talks about the, the prophetess at Thyatira and other mm-hmm. places, right, by and large, the, the understanding is they're basically saying you can be part of the um, trade guilds and have their various deities that they honor – and be in, and have Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So here's 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 where a lot of the pressure was felt. Well, if I'm faithful to Christ alone, and I'm not worshiping these other gods, I'm not going to be able to practice my business. Yes, because you can't practice business without being part of a trade guild. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an economic consequence to being faithful to Christ. There's the political consequence that perhaps you'd be seen as not being loyal to the emperor, and therefore you're a danger. Um, but then you also had from the Jewish people, right, the synagogue of Satan. Um, they they claim to be Jews and are not, yes. is what Jesus says. Yeah. Um, so what's going on here? Well, so the destruction of the temple represented a crisis for the Jewish people.
1: Sure.
0: sure. And it's not until after the destruction of the temple that you find a clear, definite in history point where Jews wanted to disassociate from Christians as a separate religion. So Christianity in its earliest stages was was really a, a sect of Judaism. It was an offshoot of that, right? They're following the Jewish Messiah. Right. They were they were viewed right. as Jewish. Mm-hmm. Roman law allowed Jews to practice their ancestral religion without participating in the other temples and other deities. Um, So they had legal protections. Okay. Christians, because they were seen as a Jewish sect, benefited from those legal protections. I see. Okay. So what I think is happening in the 90s, in particular in these cities, is the Jewish congregations are making more concerted effort to say, no, 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 no. They're not with us. Not
1: them, right.
0: Okay. So the language, he said the slander of those. Well, slander there is blasphemeo, which is used in the law court. And it represents those who bring an accusation against somebody in a court of law. Okay. So what I think is happening is they're saying, no, 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 they can't have these legal protections because Christianity was not legally protected. Um, There weren't always necessary laws against it, but they had no legal protection. So... Jews could not participate in certain things and be okay, but not Christians. Okay. And so I think what they're doing is trying to mm-hmm. trying to bring them before like the local government and the magistrates mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. say, no, 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 they're not with us. We don't we don't acknowledge them mm-hmm. and accusing them of, of various things to try to get them in trouble, mm-hmm. to try to shut them down. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jesus, is like you know, some of you are going to go to prison. Some of you, you know. And 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 th- they call themselves Jew. The slander of those, but I will, I, you know, basically I deal with them. So it's not anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Jewish at all. But I think what it is 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 saying that at this time, those who are the true people of God are those that follow Christ, as it forms a religion. Right, um, is distinct from that of the worship of the Messiah. So there's this this parting of the ways, if you will. Okay. And I see that reflected. All now, right. ultimately, there's that hope for the Jewish people and for Israel yes. that, that does seem to run throughout Scripture. So it's not, it's not anything. So that's what I'm saying. I think the audience would have been primarily Gentile. It would have been these believers. Many of them would have been Jewish. Many of them would have been purely Gentile. But it was a message to them.
1: I see. Okay, And it
0: was encouraging them to be faithful to Christ no matter what.
1: Yes, and you see that yeah. in each of the churches.
0: Each of the churches, either
1: repent or at least persevere. Right. Um, okay.
0: So it's a call. It's a call to radical faithfulness, and it's against idolatry, mm-hmm. but a call to radical faithfulness to Christ. So that if I'm killed, if I'm imprisoned, if I lose my business, if I can't buy or sell anything, if the government mandates the worship of a beast and I can't, I'm not going to worship it, and I'm going to be killed because of it. And so it seems like they're winning. So you have in Revelation 6, 9, and 10, the fifth seal breaks, yes. and the altar in heaven is revealed, and the souls in the altar, and they cry out, how long, O Lord? Right. How long until you vindicate us? And the answer is, a little while longer until the rest of your brothers and sisters come in. Okay, so so say all that. Yes. I'll say this. It's a book that anticipates martyrdom. Mm. It's a book that's basically kind of encouraging them to be faithful to face death. And the, the the souls under the altar, I call the star witnesses, and they're crying out for justice. God, when will when will and, you fix this? Mm-hmm. When will you judge those who judged us? Right. This was wrong. This was we're innocent, and yet we paid for it. And and the message of Revelation is hang on. It's coming. He will judge those who judged you. He will deal with them. Um, But there's going to be more that come in before that happens.
1: Yeah. Mm. So um, let me just back up a minute and see if I am following you. Um, I've always thought that the Roman Empire uh, would allow people to kind of live the way they wanted as long as they did certain things. Right pay the taxes, kind of do what they want you to do. If right. you didn't cause trouble, yeah. they were kind of happy with that. And so what I I think I'm hearing you say is that these Gentile churches um, were feeling more of a pressure from the Jewish people that were there. Of, And that's what kind of brought them into.
0: At least in some of the cities. <clears throat> okay. So maybe not all, everywhere. Sure. So every church, like Thyatira... Um, they had a false prophetess who's encouraging them to eat food, sacrificed to idols, and engage in those things. And so Jesus deals with them differently. Um, For Philadelphia and Smyrna, um, they're experiencing pressure from the synagogue. Yes. Okay. And and what's interesting is they're the only ones Jesus has nothing negative to say to, and he basically just says, hang on, be faithful. Yes. And... uh, so it's every every city had its own set of issues that are being mm-hmm. addressed. Mm-hmm. There's no one size fits all,
1: okay.
0: um, because it really depends on the context. I mean, Laodicea was wealthy and comfortable, and so because of that, they had to deal with the things. So they might not have been feeling any social pressure, you know, no persecution, no right. difficulties. Right. Um, so yeah so so, what I would say is there was no widespread persecution, okay but it manifested in different ways. There was either internal struggles within the church or there was external pressure from various groups, mm-hmm. so it might have been the Roman government, might have been the local synagogue that was being antagonistic. It depended on the circumstance situation. and the situation there okay.
1: um now, this uh, you can't read that those first few chapters of Revelation in the letters to the church and not feel uncomfortable yeah. if you're a Christian. Yeah. And um, and a lot of that was uh, that, that rebuke mm-hmm. about not staying true to Christ but allowing these other false teachings or other things mm-hmm. in. So in that sense, I see it could speak to every generation of Christians. Yes. But I also wanted to just give you a chance to explain why should we be interested in Revelation? Where is the message to every Christian? Where Mm -hmm. is it universal?
0: Yeah, great. Um, So, yeah, I do think it is historically conditioned um, in some of the specifics. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is a universal truth that is communicated in all of those. So those seven messages in particular, which... By the way, most people stop there and think that's the only thing it says to the church. The entire book of Revelation is a message to those churches.
1: Yes. And Tell so me it, more about that, too. <laughs> I want to hear more about that. Too.
0: It goes back and forth to those letters. So it's right. like, yeah, that's the introductory part, but it, everything that it's saying is still speaking to the same audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, what was I saying? Um to completely lost yeah, my to, <laughs> Sorry about That's that. Okay.
1: Yeah, about how it's universal. Oh yeah, yeah. How, so it's universal, it.
0: right? But. So, so the call is faithfulness to Christ. Okay, okay? overcoming the world, being a victor. Yes. Well, what does that look like? Well, in some circumstances, it means being willing to die, being willing to face whatever penalties come legally. Uh, in other cases, it means repenting of their sin or their complacency. Um, mm-hmm. So, as prophecy, good prophecy throughout the Bible is a call to action. Okay, right? It's not just a call of. I like that. Here's knowledge, just for the sake of knowing the future. It's here's what God is saying, and here's what you're to do in response. Okay. It's always a call to action, always. And so there, the call is for them to overcome. It's a, a book of encouragement to reinforce endurance no matter what. So why does apocalyptic genre work the way it does? Well, so what it does is it gives us a heavenly glimpse of the reality that might be different from our current circumstance, okay? So the current circumstance, even historically, it feels like we're marginalized, we're not winning, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It seems like injustice prevails. Yes. Wickedness seems to thrive where's god when's he going to do something about this right mm-hmm. so my current reality is boy this is rough but then i get a glimpse of the heavenly throne room and god seated on his throne and all the worship of heaven surrounding it's it it's
1: beautiful and he's in
0: absolute control yes and everything as alpha and omega
1: yes
0: he will bring it to conclusion there is no wringing of the hands or worrying is this all going to work out it's it's already decided,
1: yeah.
0: And then he will take. I was just speaking about this in class today. So, uh, someone asked me my you know I, I tell people I say when people ask me my political view, I give them Jesus's model prayer. Okay, Thy kingdom come, Thy yes. will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the longing of my heart and my hope and my expectation is that God's rule and reign. Will be realized here, not in an earthly political system, but when the Messiah returns and establishes his kingdom
1: on earth. Yes. Um, and there'll be
0: no more death, no more disease, no more curse. The Bible says there'll be no more sun because mm-hmm. the light of his face will It'll illuminate. Be enough,
1: yeah. Yes. Oh, it is a beautiful, beautiful book. I mean, right. um, and I, I think sometimes, uh, I'd love to hear what you say about this, but mm-hmm. I think as Uh, 21st century Americans all that imagery is really hard for us to um, to understand a picture yeah yeah. it's not the kind of imagery that we would use we are used to superheroes and things like that but in terms of describing something beautiful we we see pictures yeah but trying to describe it is always different it
0: is it is and it it stretches the limits of human language and conception right yes Um, I often when I'm teaching like how like even the vision of heaven works um so let's just say um we we'll do a thought experiment here okay. um i i was born blind i've never seen anything okay describe the color green to me
1: i don't know how i'd even begin to start on that right because we always compare it to something that we know something that we know green is the color of Grass. grass. Or, okay,
0: so what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't tell what, what me what grass? green is. right? So then when you're taking something that is the heavenly reality of God and His kingdom, which is beyond what we can even fully understand here and now, um, how do you describe that? So that's part of the reason why John's language. You know, I was thinking about it. I, I used to, when I was pastoring, uh, be invited to speak at different places. and I did a Bible study at a nursing um community, kind of independent living, and I taught on Revelation because it's the only it's it all of our understanding of heaven. Think of the images: streets of gold, pearly right, gates, right. all of these things. Mm. Revelation. Yeah, you don't that's find a true. lot of it in anywhere else in the Bible.
1: It's in Revelation. It's in
0: Revelation, mm. and so um, it becomes my go-to place when I think of what is the eschatological hope. And and I'll just I'll just say this in terms of like what is the overall theology? Okay. Um. And and I have to read it because it's just worth reading. Um. It's in Revelation 21, and it's it's as uh, uh he sees the New Jerusalem coming down. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it says, and he said, "I it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost, and to them, oh, I'm sorry. I messed that up. <laughs> I have to edit that out. That's okay. Where is it? Oh, it's just before that. Verse 5. Okay. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. Revelation is not about the destruction of the world. Revelation is about God renewing His good creation that was ruined by sin, Mm -hmm. death, disease, the way that we understand the world, all because of Adam's fall. Mm -hmm. What He created was good and perfect and right in the Garden of Eden. The book of Revelation ends with Garden of Eden. Yes. On earth. It does. Where even the New Jerusalem and the temple is described with garden imagery, right? Beautiful. Beautiful. There's the the river of life with the trees of life mm-hmm. bringing forth its fruit, and every you know season, and um, all the language is garden imagery because uh, in German the the uh, saying is "Endzeit aus Erzeit," the end will be as the beginning. So, oh,
1: that's that's a perfect way to say yeah. it. Yeah, I like that. the
0: the 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 final goal is God removing the curse. From his creation and making it all new.
1: And this is a perfect place to stop. I will just mm-hmm. add this one thing. Yeah. C.S. Lewis always talked about beauty and joy yeah. and how it makes your heart
0: ache. Yeah. yeah.
1: That longing. And that's kind of the sense that I sometimes get when I read Revelation. Yeah. yeah. That that longing that, that when we see Jesus, we're gonna really have that such joy, it's gonna make our hearts ache, maybe. That's what I picture.
0: Well, you know, it's and and uh, just to ping off of that. um when I was first a Christian, I was just so excited about the salvation I had and all mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. The longer I walk with Christ, the more homesick I become, mm. And the less at home I feel in this world. And when I read Revelation in particular, my heart yearns in a way. when I see, all the natural disasters, and the death, and the ruin, and yes, the hatred, absolutely. and the violence, I'm, I'm just yearning yeah. for God to set everything right back in His creation. How long, O oh Lord?
1: How long? And, and come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord come. Jesus,
0: Maranatha.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. You're welcome.
0: Hey, it's Gary and Joe here again. Would you do us a favor? If you like this podcast, go to iTunes and leave us a review. This would mean the world to us. Thanks.